Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of One of These Years. I'm, of course, Nick Bumbrenner, along with Chris Burke. Plenty to talk about today on the Lions front on May 20th, randomly enough, is the new regime. Everything's new, Chris, so, I mean, everything we're doing is new, everything's brand new, everyone's happy, everyone's excited. Before we get into all this today, how are we doing first, Chris? How's things going? Uh, can we... I I don't love summer. Can we talk about that? <laughs> Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to. I know it's like my most controversial it take is whenever here, I bring it up. So, yes. <laughs> like Good 90 time to talk about it. outside. It's humid yeah. already. I uh, I know I shouldn't complain because then the, it'll be. The winter allergies are kicking in. The yeah, allergies right. are back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, at least I'm at the point, I will say, it, it feels a little encouraging to be at the point where I can, like, sneeze and not be yeah. worried that i'm spreading covid to everyone yes <laughs> like, that's encouraging but yeah that's a great it's, point. Uh, it, that like, you I'm can like here. cough in public and not worry about <laughs> if someone's gonna ask you to like you know leave the room or leave the city or something like that yeah like i have to pick uh <laughs> quiet areas of the house to uh do the podcast and i'm up in our like upstairs guest we mm-hmm. have like a guest bedroom slash extra office upstairs oh yeah right. and i'm sitting up there and it's the warmest room in the house and it is <laughs> You're sweating right now. Like, I'm yeah. glad we're not doing video for this because I, I think we're gonna have to get the AC rolling this week. But uh, it's anyway. getting a little steamy around these parts as football is sort of coming back. The Lions had uh, rookie mini camp, yeah, uh, over the weekend. Chris was out there on Sunday, and we figured we'd start uh, this week off with this with that, and we'll talk a little bit too about some of the film sessions we did with um, with Anthony Lynn and Aaron Glenn later in the show here. But Sunday, or I guess you were out there Sunday, Chris. They were out there all weekend, and. You know, we know Penny Sewell wasn't there. Obviously, he uh, had a positive COVID test. Uh, no quarterbacks in the house. <laughs> it was a little different and a little unique. And I want to talk about the guys that ran around a little bit too. But but I don't. And, and we talked about this a little bit before we started. And I don't want to overlook it completely. But it is noted that this was the first time the new staff was out there, and uh, Dan Campbell was out there running a practice and everything else. And you know, I mean, it's going to feel different and look different and everything else. Just kind of the. You know, if you could sort of uh, recap the vibe for folks, uh, Campbell called it a good vibe. Everybody was working and everything else, but sort of what, what was your um, what was your sort of impression of how uh, how everything looked out there with guys standing around and everything? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was definitely looser than what we saw with Patricia, Matt Patricia. But I mean, again, it's yeah, it's rookie mini camp, no pads. It's mid May, not even everyone's there yet. I mean, it's right. going to be a little looser, and and we didn't get. And I guess this is a difference, you know, Bob Quinn. I think this was mostly a Bob Quinn mandate, but I'm sure Patricia didn't argue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get in for rookie minicamp exactly. the last three years, so I don't even really have anything to compare it to until we get to OTAs and and uh, training camp and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, definitely a nice, loose vibe. I mean, I mentioned in my observations out of there that I thought th- the thing that jumped out for me was just that... Um, you know, you go to a Patricia practice and he'd be zipping around on, on, the, yeah, uh, on the scooter or whatever. Scooter, yeah. or, you know, and <laughs> screaming at people. And, you know, and Dan Campbell, I don't know that I saw him speak during any of the positional drills. He was just sort of on the sideline. He was kind of wandering. Like he very much was hands off mm-hmm. and letting, you know, it was uh, Dave Phipp, the special teams coordinator, ran a couple of drills and, um, you know, the, Anthony Lynn and Aaron Glenn ran a couple drills and everyone broke off for positional stuff and he was just sort of observing and hanging out and I think that that's that's probably going to be how this operates most of the time is you know he's going to be your game day guy and he's going to be the face of this franchise and obviously the leader of it but I think he's going to let you know yeah. guys do their jobs which is uh 
I don't know that that's a complete 180, but it's definitely different <laughs> yeah, to delegate. The the 180 there for me from my from my eyes anyway feels like you know with Patricia it was very much this you know when they would bring people in on staff not always not every case but it was all always or oftentimes this like you know this guy has worked in this system and he understands exactly what we do on a nuanced level right. and you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's why he's here, right? Whereas with this staff, it's like, no, I mean, they, you know, Dan Campbell went out and hired just a bunch of guys who are like super qualified. I mean, beyond qualified in terms of being experts at what they do in their area of, you know, sort of teaching. And so in that sense, that does make a lot of sense. And I think it's, it's refreshing and we'll see how it works out. But with Patricia's uh, operation, it was always just like, if you didn't fit into the you know, whatever was already preordained in terms of exactly how everything's going to go here, then you couldn't work here. Like you could have worked for any, if you didn't have any experience with the way the Patriots operated, like you might as well have not worked in football. Like that's how it (laughs) felt, right? Whereas this is certainly much different. I understand what you're saying. I think I understand why it's And I think we even saw that, you know, Daryl Bevel, I think he met Patricia got along, but then as soon as Patricia got fired daryl bevel took over and it's like well this is gonna feel different around here yeah (laughs) that was so i think even guys who had come from outside the organization were asked to be you know it was daryl bevel's scheme but it was very much like yeah this is how we want to run the scheme you know this is what the tempo wants to be and all this sort of thing so i think that you know and again i don't know what it's going to look like week one i don't i don't know how much dan campbell is going to be involved you know with uh with that sort of thing, with the game planning specifically, and whether he's going to let the coordinators go handle that, but I, I think first imp- that was my first impression was that mm-hmm. this is going to be he's going to say, "Here's what we want to accomplish today. Uh, you handle this, you handle this, you handle this, and let's go have a good day." And yeah, I think that that is probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way that it has to go, especially with a young team like this, and that's the important thing too. Like. They're going to have so many young, impressionable guys who are still in developmental stages of what they're doing. And I think that, you know, it's important that they have a lot of teachers on staff, but also important that they're letting those guys sort of do their own thing with their own experiences and bring in their own, you know, backgrounds and flavor and everything else and see, you know, kind of where this all takes them. Because that's kind of what I've looked at. This like everybody here has their own, like, this is how I want to bring my imprint on this. But in general, we still really don't know where all this is going to go. We don't really know where this whole collective and they're all their ideas and all everything else is going to come together and sort of uh you know the direction it's going to take and i guess it's interesting to see sort of all of it early on like this were you able to glean i know they are all in shirts and helmets i guess but you know you watch guys run around a little bit i mean were you able to glean anything from anybody running around or anything of note at all uh, there i know there's a lot of new guys and things like that yeah i mean i um i mean i think it was interesting to see him sort of work uh amon ross st brown through stuff because i mm-hmm. i think pretty clearly you know and Campbell mentioned this they're getting a feel for exactly how they want to use him but this isn't going to be uh he's going to be our you know our like x he's going to yeah. be our wide side receiver like he's they're going to move him around i think we're going to see the motion think. a lot i think you mm-hmm. know they're going to bring him through the backfield like i think that they're going to play with all the types of stuff that he can do um so that was that was kind of interesting to watch early and same thing up front you know Lee McNeil uh, Levi Onzorike, like I mentioned in the story, you know, they didn't have a quarterback. They didn't have yeah. any offensive tackles in camp. They were running a, they had a coach filling in at three tech when they went to three, four fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but Onzerike and McNeil were out there together for every rep that they did, uh, you know, 11 on 11 kind of walk through stuff. And, uh, again, I think you're going to see them. There's going to be times where McNeil's playing right over the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's going to be times where they're moving around a lot and where they're four man fronts and they're both to one side together and Onzerike yeah. is maybe pushed out further to a five or even, I mean, maybe even a six, seven tech mm-hmm. spot. So, um, you know, a lot of that I think is them just trying to get a, a feel for it right now and and implement the scheme. But I, you do get, uh, I did did get a little bit of an early glimpse at just kind of the versatility they they drafted with some of these guys. I think it's also notable, like we should talk about this a little bit. I don't know how much we can, but like Sewell's contract came in yesterday as finalized on uh, as as of Wednesday, I believe. Is that now? Do they have everybody the top four? Are they all signed? Are they all done? I think it's just. Or are they waiting on anybody now? Uh, McNeil, um, Jefferson, and Sewell are signed, so they still got to get uh, right. You know, so, but still, St. Brown, and but yeah, a, Sewell's a, a big one. A pretty fast start. That was pretty painless. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that's not that big of a deal, but almost to me, it felt like it was like, wow, that was really easy. That was super easy to get to get some of these things knocked out and, and have it done. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff moving forward, which was probably a breath of fresh air, I imagine, um, somewhere up there. Yeah, um, it's gotten a lot easier, I think, to get guys signed under the new, you know, sort of now that they yeah, have right, rookie the slots. slots yeah, um, right. And like, I think a couple of the wide receivers around Sewell Mwaddle and maybe Jalen mm-hmm. or uh, Devontae Smith, uh, a couple of those guys had yeah. signed. So you had the slots kind of set up. It's usually like the sticking points now are usually like, how much are you going to offset for later in the contract or like put into injury clauses and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure it's good to get done. I obviously the next step is to get Sewell into get town. Here, yeah, right. Um, and I think that they're, they're probably anxious to do that just because uh, you want to get him in the scheme, but he also hasn't played football in a year and a half now. So you exactly. need to get him, uh, get him going a little bit. And I think that that was uh, probably the best thing about getting all these rookies in was just to get them some work and, and get them familiar with the building and everything. And we've seen now like DeAndre Swift posted uh, on yeah, Instagram. He was out working with golf and it looked like David Blau was sort of in the lurking in the background there. I don't mm-hmm. know if maybe Tim Boyle was there too. I'm sure there were some other guys. So, you know, yeah, you're starting to get getting into it here and they're about to be in phase three of the off season. We're going to have, I mean, OTAs and again, yep. you got all this stuff coming up. So it's, uh, it felt like the last four months were just kind of endless between when they you know hired these guys in the draft and now it's really we always get to this point in the summer where the spring summer where it just sort of takes off and mm-hmm. and happens quickly so yeah everything starts uh, going on yeah are you concerned at all that Sewell wasn't there uh, they said um, they weren't but are you concerned about it I mean, you don't want to see him have COVID. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I think that that <laughs> well, would be right. like... Beyond, the, beyond that. Certainly, uh, it would have been... No, no I, I don't think I would be, like, super concerned just because, you know, like you said, it's only a two and a half or three day, whatever uh, type thing. And um, you definitely would have liked it, I think, though, to have him there. I mean, it's not nothing, you know, but at the same time, because I just, like you said, with him especially, because it's been, like, two years since he played football. Like, I, I would have... Probably been really eager, I guess, probably to get him there. And maybe that was, maybe that's the emotion they had on it more than anything else. But I don't think it's that big of a deal because of the relationship that he already has with Hank Fraley and, um, and some of the guys, you know, already on the team. Like we've mentioned some of that stuff. And we did talk about the staff a little bit here, which leads me to my next sort of transition or segue, which we just published all four of our, Chris and I did 
Q&A uh, sort of film watch. We Basically, we watched tape and, and talked with uh, Anthony Lynn and um, Aaron Glenn about some, uh, some of the lines, free agent editions, and then a bunch of other stuff, too. And we wrote on all of these. They're all published. And before we get into any of this, I'd just like to say, <laughs> Chris, you mentioned at the top, like, some of the things are different, including the fact that they let us come out and watch Rookie Minicamp. <laughs> right, yeah. I would say that there won't... There aren't many things different than what we just published here in terms of regime to regime, where they let us sit and watch. I mean, this was this was about as cool as it as it gets for an early staff. I mean, uh, your original your initial thoughts on the whole series, Chris. Then we can get into it. But I was just like, especially with I mean, uh, Lynn was great, but Aaron Glenn was just outstanding. If you haven't read it, go check it out. But your initial thoughts on sort of that whole thing, Alliance being kind enough to sit down and talk with us on that whole, on that whole. Yeah. Story. I mean, it was great. Yeah. I mean, I had an opportunity last off season to sit in when Patricia and Corey right. Unlin did a session together, but that was much off different the, <laughs> off the record. <laughs> right. And then, you know, we did a story separate from that while we were on that call. Right. Um, this was, yeah, we had, you know, like 30 minutes or so with each mm-hmm. guy. They brought, Film cut-ups for us to watch. And like you said, Glenn was really good. Yeah. Uh, really insightful. Aaron Glenn, I think, uh, mm. and we heard from Lions PR afterward, like Aaron Glenn, I think, would have gone for yeah. two hours and just gone through their entire scheme Amazing. and maybe everyone on the roster if we'd had time to do it. So, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully people have have seen that insight uh, in the work. It's the, you know, the feedback has been really good that people seem like they enjoyed those uh, stories. And yeah. I, I think it does help kind of paint a picture of uh, you know, what they're looking for, not only at specific positions and from specific players, but just right. in terms of the general scheme, especially defensively, you know, what the front seven and what the secondary responsibilities are going to be. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh very happy that they um, worked with us on that request we handed them and, yeah, and gave great. us some access because it, it, if nothing else, I think you and I have a better understanding oh, yeah. of what this is going to oh, look like, God. and that yeah. helps everything moving forward. Even as we like as we talk about rookie minicamp and we talk mm-hmm. about getting into the, this summer stuff, like what sort of things we'll be noticing will change based yeah. on what we heard from them. Well, that's where I want to start because I mean, let's start with, with, with Aaron Glenn, because you talked to be mentioned at the, def- just just the, defensively with the front seven. We, we talked a lot with him about uh, Alex Anzalone and, you know, obviously they, they signed him and, you know, Aaron has a um, familiarity with him, obviously with uh, him being from New Orleans, everything else. But when we talked about, you know, what Anzalone can do. And then when he sort of walked through, you know, how he'll fit here and sort of what, he's looking for from second level defenders. I'm curious when we were talking with him, sort of what were some of the biggest impressions you were left with like afterward in terms of this is quite a bit different. And, you know, and, 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 you know, I guess in general, like what were some of the biggest, you know, uh, things that kind of landing points with you after the front seven talk Cause stick with the front seven first, and then we'll go into the back end, but with linebackers and then in the defensive line, what were some of your impressions there after you talked with him or after we talked with him? I think the one we both were kind of cracking up at was, you know, he talked, he was talking about the linebackers and what their yeah. responsibilities are going to be. And he said, you know, having the line, whatever, whatever the quote was, having a linebacker uh, go, don't run the darkness, head yeah. up against a guard or a center. Uh, yeah. We're not going to do that. It's <laughs> right. not going to be our defense. And, you know, you go back and look at, there were a bunch of examples of the Patricia defense where the, you know, that would be, Right. Have guys two gap. And then the responsibility for Jared Davis would be to run downhill and take on the center 
in the mm-hmm. hole. And that was the key to the play. Jared Davis had to get off a block against the center. And you saw how that <laughs> worked. Right. And so I think that the thing that, yeah, the, you, you mentioned the don't run into darkness comment. Like this is this is going to be built whether they're playing three or four up front. And it's I think even just based on rookie minicamp, they're going to be varying that quite a bit. Um, is going to be based on trying to have those uh, defensive linemen win with quickness and athleticism right. and then free up the linebackers to flow to the football. And he talked about that a lot, especially with Anzalone, you know, not just running downhill until you run into something, come downhill. And if it closes up, you got to pull, peel back and find, you know, the cutback lanes and find mm-hmm. another path to the ball. And so I think that if it works, it could look completely different than yeah, what this defense was last year. I mean, like night and day different up front. For me, it was like, and it really crystallized for me after the draft, because, you know, we talked with these guys before the draft, right? So we didn't know that they were going to draft Derek Barnes. I mean, but, you know, we can say now we weren't shocked, right? <laughs> that they drafted a guy that looks and played and plays like Derek Barnes. But obviously, like, so some of this really kind of hit home for me after the draft in terms of probably where they're going to go with this. But yeah. more or less, you know, Aaron Glenn's philosophy defensively Number one, it puts a higher premium on speed than Patricia's ever did. And then number two, in, in the same situation, almost as we talked about with the staff fitting in and everything, like Patricia's defense was taught and the Belichick defense is taught in, in a way that's like, you have to be experts at, you know, playing a technique exactly the way they've taught it. You know what I mean? You have to be an expert at doing this exactly the way we've installed it, taught it, coached it, te- you know, the whole thing. Can't deviate, can't. Riff can't whatever else. Whereas in this system, it's more we're putting an emphasis. We're bringing you here because you can run, and we're going to put everyone in situations that accentuates their best traits. So we're going to put guys up front on the defensive line that can smash gaps and take them away, so that our linebackers don't have to worry about checking off you know box A, B, C, and D before their instinct kicks in and they can just go cut and run. Like, that's the stuff. When you talk to linebackers or people that were familiar with linebacker play about how Patricia used Jared Davis, you would oftentimes hear, like, frustration from other people that have nothing to do with the situation or don't know Jared Davis. That would be like, I feel really bad for him because it looks like he's being asked (laughs) to do 200 things before he's being asked to just go be a linebacker and play football. When we were listening and talking with Aaron, it was like, I'm not going to ask these guys to check 30 boxes. I'm going to ask them to do A and B and then go play football. Like that to me is when I boiled it all the way down. Like that's that's kind of where I landed on in the front seven anyway, where it was like they're just going to have guys win one-on-ones and be athletes and just be the be great at what you're here to be great at and we'll make it work. Like that's sort of – that was my vibe. I don't know if you had any – Things similar, but that was sort of after the draft that really sort of to hit home for me defensively, anyway, in the front seven. I thought, yeah, uh, I mean, I think it, that that was true of the secondary too. Like when yeah, he yeah. talked about Jeff Okuda, and mm-hmm. he was saying, and we've heard this from the moment they hired these these guys, Campbell, not I guess maybe not so much on offense, but Campbell, Glenn, defensively like for on sure, that yeah. side of the ball, that they watched that film of last year's team and it just looked like they saw what we saw guys were just uh swamped they were completely overwhelmed by what they were being asked to do they couldn't handle it they looked lost they looked uncomfortable they couldn't play with their instincts at all yeah 
And so Aaron Glenn, you know, like you said, he talked about doing that with the linebackers. He specifically mentioned it with Okuda. Like, mm-hmm. just, we're going to simplify this. If you're in press and a guy releases the outside, here are the three routes he might run. And if he releases the inside, here are the three routes he might run. That's it. Right. Just worry about those three routes. Go make a play. That's it. You don't have to worry about where you're exactly supposed to be at every single moment, where everyone else. I mean, there's just so much that they were concerned about in that prior defense, like handing off guy, you know, are we in cover six here? Are we in cover three? Are we like, what are we doing? And you could see it. It just, they never got comfortable last year. And so I think if, again, if it works, there's no guarantee this is going to be the fix, but just the idea of sort of saying, let's just, you know, worry it's, about as right. little as you need to you're like, don't think here's, know. you know, this go let your instincts take over and make a play. And I think that that is a big deal. And, and you mentioned sort of the, you know, Patricia looking for these exact prototypes. And it's funny because Derek Barnes is exactly the type of player that everyone was like, you, they need this guy. They need yes. a guy that can do this. <laughs> right. And they never would have drafted him because he's six years. foot, yeah, right. two thirty five. They've been like, oh, forget that. He can't yeah, right. handle. Yeah, you know, he's not big enough to play physically for us on the edge. Forget it. Right. And that was what the whole disconnect was. You'd be watching this team and saying, well, they clearly need another guy who can do whatever it is. Right. And they'd say, no, sorry, can't do this. Not, so that's not, not our vision yeah. of it. And that's why we are where we are. You know, it's really funny, like. And this is, there's no absolute here, obviously, and I don't want to like generalize, but, and there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. And, you know, Bill Belichick's won more Super Bowls than anybody, and his methods work really, really well the way he does it and everything else. But, like, it's very interesting to me when you go from, and I've, I've had these experiences before in other jobs covering other teams and stuff. But when you go from listening to a bunch of coaches who, you know, maybe they played the game, but probably not at like the elite, elite level, right? They played the game at a, maybe in a small college capacity and then they worked their way up and now they're a head coach or whatever. And that's how they see football. And that's fine. I mean, a lot of ways it could work. And Patricia's won Super Bowls and you know what? That's fine. But then you, then you bring in somebody like Aaron Glenn and you're like, okay, well, Aaron Glenn's played his position, played corner at the highest position anyone in the history of the world could ever play that in the NFL at a Pro Bowl level. And when you hear him talk about football, it's yeah. like this, Suddenly seems so much easier, so much simpler, and it makes so much more damn sense. Like, you can listen to a guy like Aaron Glenn talk for a half an hour. You can go into that conversation having a decent idea of knowing what you're talking about with football. When you're done with that conversation, you will be shocked at how little you know, but also somehow surprised at how you knew more than you thought you realized because he has a way of like simplifying these things. <laughs> right. And that is what a teacher is. Like that to me is what a coach should be and what a teacher is. And I do think that we talk so much about in January about, you know, they're hiring former players. Like that's important that you have guys on staff that not just former players, but like Aaron Glenn walked the walk for a long time. He can look at Jeff Okuda and say, there's nothing I can tell you that I haven't done myself. You can trust everything I'm saying. You don't have to second guess it. And I think that oftentimes we overlook that when we talk about these things. Like, that's really important. And I think it will be important for someone like Okuda and any young corner or defender in general, but especially in the secondary. You bring in a guys to work with a guy like this, it's going to do wonders for their career. I mean, I just, I think that that's a huge, huge benefit. It just came across so clearly when we were talking to him, like, 
he just makes this sound so easy. And then you think about it. Well, of course he does. He's been doing this his whole life at yeah. the highest level possible. So and it makes a lot what, of sense. You know, Mark Brunel said the right. same thing when we had uh, some media availability with him this week. He said, you know, I think he said he had like 10 quarterbacks coaches or something like that during mm-hmm. his uh, right. NFL career. And he said, uh, but, but the best for me was when I had a quarterback coach who had played the game at a really high level at and a that, high and level that's, yeah and that's goes back to what dan campbell told us about why he hired brunel in the first place is that he sort of laid out not just on field stuff not just here's how i'm gonna coach the position when between the lines but here's everything you need to think about when you're off the field and here's how you need to watch film and here's how way. you need to respond to a loss the day after like all these little <coughs> things that yeah you know we kind of mm-hmm. lose when we're talking about well you know, how's he fit the scheme and what's his 40 time and all that, all these little mental things that come up through the year. And again, I don't, at last off season was brutal for these rookies in general, because it, it was tough for everyone in the world. Right. But, you know, for these guys, they lost most of their rookie off season it was always going to be difficult to hit the ground running. And I think we saw that in a lot of cases, but um, I also don't think that they had, the support system in place on that staff to help these guys get through right. those difficult spots. And to, like you said, I think maybe now you do because you have, you have Brunel and you have Campbell and, and Lynn and, and Glenn and, and Randall L and Fraley and all these guys, yeah. who know, just go down the list. Yeah. Like there's not going to be a situation, uh, that comes up in a game that they can't help you figure right. out. And so maybe that's enough to make you better. And that's it. I mean, that's that's the big one. And I don't want to say I don't want this to come across like Patricia didn't have any guys on his staff that knew how to coach because of course he did. Like right, right. You know, those guys. Some of them are off on different jobs now. Like you know, guys like Bo Davis had people after him right after the. So they had guys on the staff that knew what they were doing, of course, and guys that you know could speak from that sort of place. But that like credibility. That you have to have with younger players, it and it shows up, like you said, Chris, in those moments in season, like week to week, game to game. Like it's not even just about in the game. This thing Brunel said that was so important about, like, how do you re- how am I supposed to handle myself tomorrow? Like, if something crazy happened on the field Sunday and I've never been through this, what am I doing? I don't know what to do tomorrow. I don't know. This is all brand new. So when when you're looking at somebody like that that you're trusting in your position coach. I just think it gets – the thing gets lost. I mean, these guys go from being college football players to NFL players, and then we just immediately assume that sometimes that they've just – they've just automatically, uh, you know, advanced to the level where you don't have to worry about things. And it's like those things are so big, I think, that to have guys on staff who've been there at the highest, highest level and to be able to pull guys aside. Like, like I think a lot about, like, you know, uh, when the Lions lost to Green Bay on that crazy – you know, on all those penalties that one year and everybody was devastated and Patricia refused to blame the, the refs on every, everything. And like everything, everybody was kind of like, we don't know what to do here, where we're going or whatever else. Like if that, something like that happens here, this team is not going to have, I don't think that like, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not going to be an awkward, the message will be pretty clear. It'll be shared. They'll move on together. I just think this staff is better set up to have exactly what they've preached. And that's a team that works together uh, and kind of evolves together. And that's, on the surface, that's what it looks like they've gotten here. Yeah, and I think that that's especially important where they're at right now as an organization. Yeah, um, I think if you're further down the line, maybe you don't need to be. Uh, you know, maybe you don't need to be. 
coddling's not the not the right word, but maybe you don't need yes. that. Yes. You know, maybe you don't need those pats on the back quite as much. Um, mm-hmm. But where this team is, and where you know what you're trying to build with all young guys here for the most part, uh, it, it's going to take a little bit of that patience to get there. And I mean, you mentioned that Green Bay game, Patricia more or less admitted you know that that Green Bay game came right after the Kansas City game mm-hmm. at home that the Lions had in the bag and 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 Kansas City won late and then you had the loss to Green Bay and he basically admitted that the team kind of crumbled that was, after that was that. it anyway, and yeah. we saw it it was right. the, that was the end of the regime basically that was it like, yeah those two games uh and they couldn't pull themselves out of it so maybe this does make a difference and again we don't maybe they're the worst defense in football again this year right. maybe this maybe Aaron Glenn you know, maybe this system, this new scheme doesn't click. Maybe they can't find the right players. There's no guarantees this is going to work. But I will say that they're even in watching rookie camp and watching, you know, Derek Barnes sort of slicing through, uh, slicing through gaps on walkthroughs. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said for just saying, all right, here's what we'd like to do here. But if you get a chance to go make a play, go make a play. Oh. Uh, like that's the number one thing. Find the ball, go make a play. We don't care how you get there. Yeah. And I think that that's a difference. Like even like I'm sure there were times in those film sessions where the Lions made what looked like a really good play uh, on defense and Matt Patricia took them into those film sessions and just chewed out whoever made that play because he went out of structure to make it. Yeah, uh, I'm positive that happened. So. Glenn mentioned that mentioned something like that a couple times, or at least once, I or can remember off the top of my head as we were watching tape, where he was like, there was one play in particular where, where he was looking at the front seven, and he was talking about linebackers, and it was, you know, this guy's job here is to check the front, then peel back, and if that doesn't happen and they go out wide, go haul ass and play football. You're in position now to go just cut loose and go get the guy. Like that's, you know, ultimately at the end of the day when it's like, if you check A, you check B, none of those things are happening. Get on your horse and go run and tackle the guy. Now that's what we're doing, right? And he talked about at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to play here, you got to be able to tackle, you got to be able to react, and you got to be able to run. Like, those are the three things that that he's requiring everything else he can work with. And I think that that's, that's a good start because I think that's where the game's going. And I think that the way offenses change so much, and we saw this with Patricia, offenses are so advanced now and they can do so many more things legally within the game than than defenses can and so you have to be flexible and you have to be able to sort of let guys riff in a way that they were not allowing in in last year or the year prior and like you said I don't know maybe we will see more from certain guys that we've checked off maybe we won't but I think that that lends you know to maybe at least there's a chance that maybe somebody will surprise us it just sounds so obvious Right? And yes, like that, it's and logical. I don't know. Yeah. And again, like I maybe it's too obvious. Yeah, but just, right. just I, I don't know. I mean, I I think that the players got so bogged down mm-hmm. in all the details because that's what Patricia demanded. Again, it wasn't yeah. like great, you made a play, great job. You really did a great job there. It was did you make that play the way we told you to make that play? <laughs> and <laughs> Well, yeah, right. <laughs> and and that was why, like, right. You kind of go back through the dots, like that's why, like Quandre Diggs is the perfect example of that. All the way, yeah. He was a guy who was out, like, he was a he's a a flawed safety. He's not the best safety in football. He's right. going to miss some plays. We saw him make some <laughs> terrible right. reads on plays in the back, yeah, in the secondary. Right. Give up some big plays, but he also made some big plays. He forced some turnovers, like all this stuff that was missing. 
after he left, basically, because you didn't have that guy anymore. But that was a huge disconnect there. He was going, he was out there, he wanted to go make a play. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be some, you, you know, you've got to keep that in in check to some to some right. effect. You can't have 11 guys just running all over the place, you know, doing whatever they feel like. They've got to be within right. some structure of it. But you and, can't take that away completely and right. say, you just can't be this guy for us. You can't be taking those chances for us. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you can't eliminate that from, from players' games. And I, I think this defense, if nothing else, is going to let guys go do that. And maybe you're probably still going to give up. Just knowing who these cornerbacks are and what the safeties look like right now, you're going to give up some big plays. Yeah. They're going to give up some 65-yard touchdowns this year. But maybe you force a couple more turnovers than you had, and that helps you stay in some games. Well, that's the thing, because I mean, you you asked Aaron Glenn when we were talking about Dunbar. You know, how much are you? How much can you live with uh, with the risk? Because part of the reason why he likes Dunbar so much is because he's a former receiver who is constantly going after the football. Like he's not afraid to go make plays on the ball if it's in his area and this sort of thing. But like also sometimes, you know, as we talked about, there's technique and things that he needs to polish up on to make sure that he's not taking unnecessary risk and, th- and things of that nature. And I thought it was a really interesting part in the interview where you asked him about, you know, what's the balance there for you in personal preference. And it was, it was exactly that. Like, as long as it makes sense, like if you're not running away from your help or running out of area to go after a ball and, and, you know, screwing a teammate, like if you're doing that, like then we got a problem, but like, I want you to go make a play out of area if you can, because that's why we brought you here. Like, and I thought that that's, yes, that makes a lot of logical sense. Sometimes that's easier said than done. And, if, and and that's where a guy like Aaron Glenn comes in because you take a guy like Aaron Glenn and you have him go have that conversation with Quandre Diggs, maybe it goes a little different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of being like, <laughs> right, we, don't yeah. need you, we don't need you to make that play. That's all you have to say. We don't need you to make that play. Not, we need you to be somebody completely different entirely. We need you to be not yourself. Like that's that's often what, you know, the Patriot way or, or the Patricia way of doing things would ask these players to do. Like, we need you to be someone else entirely here or you can't play here. And, like, that's not what they're going to do here. But at the same time, it can't be careless and reckless. I thought that was an interesting thing, too, that, you know, he talked about that with Dunbar, which was, you know, we'll we'll put up with some of it, but it can't be, you know, out of control and just senseless. Yeah, and that's what we don't know yet. We know, like, kind of some idea of what they want this to look like. We know it's going to be a different approach than – last coaching staff right we don't know sort of where they're going to draw the line in the sand and say well this guy just doesn't work for us mm-hmm. like that that we have not gotten to that point yet it's maybe you take some clues from the guys they let walk but i think we won't start to learn that until you know later in the summer when when they start cutting guys in camp and all those sorts of things but that that's what we don't know how much mm-hmm. like you said he said they can live with some of that from dunbar or okuda or tracy walker you can live with some of that taking chances but you can't you can't miss a hundred percent of the time yeah. and be giving up big plays. Like you still have to be responsible. So I think that that's something that we'll learn. Uh, we'll learn as we go. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty eye opening to listen to Aaron Glenn talk. Not even just a, not even about the X's and O's, but just in general about the philosophies of, yeah. of what this team is going to want and what they're going to talk about in those rooms because it does sound a lot different. Uh, I'm sure that's the point, but it does sound a lot mm-hmm. different than. Than before, and so again, all these guys that we've talked about, you know, Okuda and Walker, and all these young guys, um, you know, Brad Holmes was on uh, 
our podcast with Robert Mays talking about, um, you know, how if players when he got here were different than the players as he scouted them. And he sort of hinted mm-hmm. at he didn't mention Julian Okora by name, but he mm-hmm. said something about, well, when he was at Notre Dame, one year he played at a higher weight and was really, really good. And then yeah. they lost weight. They tried to pigeonhole him in and he wasn't as good. So maybe we get him back to yeah that. And so I think that you're going to see some guys that do take off a little bit in, in this new scheme, just because the approach is different, maybe a little more relaxed. It's definitely more player know. friendly. It's going to be like, we talked a lot of, uh, during the week of the draft about all the traits, the elite traits, like it's going to be more player friendly. Like if, if there's a couple of things that you can do, they're going to let you do them. Like, yeah, I think that that's, that's the takeaway. Like if you're really good at X and Y, they're going to let you do those things and they're going to find ways for you to fit into what they're doing. And it's not, it doesn't always have to be a one way street. I, I don't think. And that's probably the biggest change. If you flip it to the offensive side though, we talked to Anthony Lynn. We didn't get to talk much about quarterbacks, obviously or anything else we did. Um, we talked about Jamal Williams and Tyrell Williams with him with, with Jamal Williams, Chris, that was the one signing in the off season. That I think we both agreed that was like, I was most impressed by that one more than anything else. Cause I thought that was, in terms of checking boxes that checked the most. Although I will say we talked with him before the draft and before they released carry on Johnson. I was a little surprised to see carry on release, but also mm-hmm. not as surprised based on that conversation with that one. What, what was, what's sort of your expe- expectation now with William Swift and then sort of where the run game goes, uh, you know, with Lynn. Yeah, it's um, it was interesting because, uh, and I think I'm even, as I'm sitting here looking at, Twitter, I'm seeing one of the quotes from that story just surfaced mm-hmm. from a random fantasy yeah. football analyst um, <laughs> talking about, you know, he said, Jamal Williams is, uh, he's what I'd call a classic A-back. And he right. described an A-back as a guy who's uh, probably like the more physical back, you know, between the tackles, using the block, maybe you throw him out and let him catch a little. He said how good Williams is running zone stuff, but, you know, he's more of what you, I guess, like kind of the ground and pound style mm-hmm. back if you're if you're doing it then he mentioned Swift was a B back which is a speed and space guy and so the you know kind of the natural reaction to that is well does that mean Swift's not going to be on the field as much when right. they're running their base offense or whatever and and I don't know that we know that answer yet I mean I I think that we have a good indication that they really really like DeAndre Swift and view him as a huge piece of this offense and I think what's exciting now is you look at what Williams can do and you look at what Swift can do and you start kind of playing with the possibilities in your head um, yeah of how many different ways they can use Swift and still have a guy who can handle the ball 15 times out of the backfield if he just want a traditional back which maybe Williams is closer to that in their eyes so I I'm with you. I thought that was a that signing was kind of surprising. Frankly, it was. I didn't think he <laughs> because would come it was here. such yeah. a high quality one, uh, and I think that he's a guy that you could see be really, really productive. We've seen him be really good in this in this uh, division for a number of years. I, you know, it was interesting. I think that you know the more I, when I went back and listened again after you know I had the same reaction as you when we were talking, and then you go back and re-listen to it, and I think you know. The impression that I got again listening was Williams is more of an A back, which would be your physical style, but he could also be a B back. And Swift is more of a B back who could, if you had to, also handle some of the responsibilities that an A back would handle. And I think that's the most important thing to remember here because he talked about this too at some point during the conversation. 
that, you know, when teams want to start trying to match personnel, that's when you can really kind of catch people off guard and get matchups on your own side because you've got two backs who are basically interchangeable. Like Swift can play first, second, or third down. Williams can play first, second, or third down. Not out of the realm of possibility that they're both on the field together in certain packages. Everything that they'll ask Jamal Williams to do, I think they'll be comfortable asking Swift to do and vice versa. Yeah. Like that's that's the biggest thing to remember. And when we looked at carry on, like I don't think we could say that. You know, at the end of last year, I certainly don't think we could say that. And that was going to be the question heading into training camp was, you know, is carry on going to be able to go on the field and reasonably do the things that the Lions would have asked Swift to do in, you know, this instance, like all the things he can bring to the table that the defense has to think about. Are they going to have to think about the same things with carry on? And, and I guess that's probably why he's out of here because of the injury and everything else. But at the same time, when you go back to this conversation about Swift and Williams, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, that's really good. That could be really good. That could be a really good duo. And when you go back and look at some of the, some of the tandem back situations Lynn's had in the past, especially that Buffalo operation that he had in 2016, which was, I think, the top rushing outfit in the league. I think he had LaShawn McCoy, and I'm trying to remember the other back, but it was someone very similar to uh, Williams in terms of fit and play and everything else. And it was like two really efficient players who can kind of be interchangeable, and both were just a bear at the end of the year for defenses to handle. And I think that that's probably the direction they're going in. We'll see if it works out, but it makes a lot of sense. Looking it up now. Mike Gillisley is the other back. And yep. they had Tyrod Taylor rushing for and they had Tyrod, yards, yeah, but right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think the the other thing that I think stands out with Carry On just uh, when they did it, it was a surprise. But I think um, hearing them talk about Jamar Jefferson, mm-hmm. I, I sort of went back to Carry On because they talked about you know Jamar Jefferson didn't didn't run a great 40 but they kept talking about the gps his play speed how fast he is with the ball in his hands and i think that showed yeah. up a little bit uh, on his tape you know he ran away from some guys uh i think it's the organ game especially mm-hmm. like some guys where you wouldn't expect him necessarily to run away from um and that play speed thing like how fast are you when the game's actually going on not straight line not just right. you know sprinter stance 40 yards like how fast are you and I think, unfortunately, we saw, you know, post multiple injuries, on Johnson did not have much of that play speed. No, uh, no. And he was great, incredible in his role. Like he was one of the best blocking running backs in football probably last mm-hmm. year. Uh, but if that's all you're going to bring to the table, I don't know that they trusted him to be a, right. a super productive player between the tackles. I don't think they saw that explosion that you would like from a guy that you're going to throw the ball to a lot. Um, and so I think going back after just hearing how they talk about Jefferson, it made sense. But um, yeah, I mean, I, this is another one where you, you know we don't know exactly what this is going to look like. Is this going to look like that Bill's? 2016 attack i mean last year the chargers um ran i think it was the second most 11 personnel in the league and Mm -hmm. some of that's because you you know that's who you have at receiver they have keenan allen playing in the slot a ton like you're going to want three receivers on the field but are the lions going to be in 11 personnel a ton are we going to see two tight ends on the field like we don't know we don't know what this is going to be but uh, i think to your point williams and swift are about as multifaceted a one-two punch as you're going to get like, yeah it's a good combo yeah i don't know that you're going to get more uh in terms of what you can do 
with your top two packs. Especially for the price. My God, they're paying them nothing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, right. (laughs) Especially for the price. like, you look at the offensive line, those two, Hawkinson, Mm -hmm. we've said it, like, there's an opportunity for this offense to be a lot better than maybe people expect it to be, uh, at least in spurts, maybe not over 17 games, but at least a few games here where they get a good matchup and teams just can't Mm -hmm. really counter all that they can do with some of these guys. Yeah, I just I the more I watch, the more you watch Williams and you watch some of the things that Lynn noted and some of the ways Green Bay used him, you know, the more I was reminded of like times last year when the Lions would be up against a team that was you know, maybe not having its best day offensively, but a team that knew it could run the ball against them and would have no problem just checking out of whatever look they didn't like and just hand the ball off in short yardage and just getting whatever. And I think that the Lions will be closer to being in position to be able to do that to teams, maybe closer than you realize. Like, the Packers, it's it wouldn't be anything for Green Bay to put somebody like Williams on the field and say, first down, we're calling a pass, we checked it to run. Second down, we've got a pass, we checked it to run. It's third and four, we have a pass on, we're checking it to run again, and he's going to get a first down. Like, that happens sometimes. Like, I could see series with Anthony Lynn sort of evolving where he'll be comfortable sort of doing that. I think it'll be a lot of... Take the easy stuff, take what's there, but also make sure that you're keeping the defense honest from a matchup standpoint that at any given moment you can kind of snap one off on somebody. Because that's how that Bills offense worked. It was a lot of like lull you to sleep, you know, keep yourself on the field, keep your defense fresh. And then they'd hit these like random gaps or he'd have a random run that he installed that week or something that would just boom. He hadn't seen it before and it would blow up. So I do wonder if that's maybe kind of the the thought here as they go forward a lot of it I think will be to take pressure off of Goff to accentuate the offensive line and to let the run game kind of dictate everything because that's probably going to have to be how it goes given how thin they are at receiver yeah and I you know you meant keep mentioning the Bills and just going back to the Chargers like I know that you know he had Ken Wisenhunt was his offensive mm-hmm. coordinator at the time so probably wasn't exactly Anthony Lynn's offense um, and right. it's not going to look exactly like it did there uh, here but you go back to 2019 and they had Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler together yep. combined for like 2,400 yards from scrimmage and 20 touchdowns and Eckler caught, you know, 80, 90 mm-hmm. passes. <laughs> like it, it's something oh, where yeah. uh, you certainly like if DeAndre Swift winds up playing an Austin Eckler style role in this offense, I don't know yeah, that hello. people will complain about that a whole lot. <laughs> If you're throwing the ball to DeAndre oh, Swift yeah. 70, 80 times this season, yep. Uh, and between the two of them, Williams and Swift are rushing for fifteen hundred yards. Yeah, why do you need a slot uh, at that point? I <laughs> mean, <laughs> that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to be in pretty good shape there. So, uh, I, again, I think that you've really kept your options on the table. And again, this is different from last year when it was carry on was your third down blocking back. Uh, DeAndre Swift was kind of your change of pace guy. When Adrian Peterson was in, you pretty much knew where that ball was going. (laughs) Yeah, going between the tackles. Uh, And this is different. Like you said, this is you could run anything with either of those two backs on the field, and maybe both of those backs on the field at the same time. So it got to a point last year. Fun to watch. It got to a point last year, probably around that like Jacksonville game or a little later, to where if Swift wasn't in the game. You could probably narrow it down to like, and Bevel was a good play caller and Stafford was playing very well, but you could still narrow it down to like <laughs> right, f- yeah. five things they could possibly do if, if Swift wasn't in the game. And like that can't happen anymore. Like, and it was, those things would pop up 
periodically throughout. Like, you know, we talked about that a lot with Jesse James and other things like that too. But no, yeah, and I, I think that that'll go away and I think that it'll just open up so many more possibilities. Tyrell Williams, I want to talk about him too um, because he's another one that's like, he was the first guy they signed. He's a guy obviously that Lynn is super familiar with and everything else. And, you know, if you talk to him, they he seems to firmly believe that he's going to have an opportunity or a chance to really surprise people and, you know, be the type of guy that, you know, a handful of years into his career, people look up and say, oh, yeah, I remember him. I mean, now he's showing up. I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know one way or the other if, if we're going to see that from him. But I'm really interested because he's a really interesting athlete and he's got that length and he's got something about his speed. And when we watch it again with with Lynn, you could sort of see it that there's he has this short area separation where it's just like one cut or one twitch and he can just get by people that I think could be a really big benefit if it all sort of comes together. But I just that's one where I'm like, I don't know. You know, that's uh, Williams is the Tyrell Williams is the one where I'm still kind of like, I, we'll have to see how it sort of clicks, but I'm, I'm probably more interested in that one than I am maybe anything else to see how it fits this year. I I am too, because I, I really liked Tyrell Williams when he was healthy. Like he was yeah. a really good yeah. NFL receiver when right. he was healthy. Maybe not, maybe he's not Marvin Jones. Maybe he's not your number one for the next five mm-hmm. years, but he's a guy that can certainly get out there. I mean, he's not someone that you can just, he is not roll, a bone. Roll yeah, right. any defense yeah. tours and no, forget it. We don't so. have to game plan for this guy at all. Like you yeah. have to pay attention to him and Perriman too. And that was interesting. You know, yeah. um, Lynn said those two guys, he said uh, Swift and Williams, he doesn't, he views as complimentary, not interchangeable. Yeah. He views Perriman and Tyrell Williams as interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was interesting too, because that also, um, you know, at, at running back, you almost want more the the uh, complementary guys, and at wide receiver, I think on the outside having the interchangeable guys is probably the better way to go because now you can flip right both sides. You know, flip them to either side of the field. You can do whatever with them. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I am curious to see how that works. We know Jared Goff, if you protect him, can throw the ball deep. And again, if you're talking about Hawkinson. Certainly, I would count St. Brown as a guy who can and get open in you know short and intermediate spaces, and then Swift and Williams. Like, if you're pulling defenses downfield, 15, 20 yards with William, Tyrell Williams and Perriman, there's going to be some space uh, open underneath, and you've got to keep all these guys healthy. Of course, right. that's a big thing with pretty much everyone they've signed this offseason. You're just like, well, look at him when he was healthy; he was pretty good. And then your counter would be, well. He hasn't been healthy exactly. for 16 games. Uh, uh, so that's the concern. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think that that one has a chance to be – I'm more intrigued by Tyrell Williams than I am Rashad Perriman. But I think both have a chance to be good. And I like the way St. Brown fits in there. I mean, I guess you kind of mentioned maybe you don't need a slot, like a true slot if uh, Swift yeah. is playing that role. Are you surprised that they haven't added – a little one yeah. of those catch and run guys. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised that we didn't see somebody else like that in the draft, or that they haven't added, or maybe that's something that's planned down the road, or maybe like you said, maybe it's not something that we'll see much of with Anthony. Lynn. I don't know, but that, that was something that did surprise me because that's the one thing I think that is missing a little bit. I mean, they do have it in Swift, but you know the twitch, the 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 ability to just win, you know, in a one on one head up in space you know, kind of thing. I mean, they've got guys that can do that, but Williams has some of the twitch, but he's the big long, I mean, he can do, and I, I, you can, like you said, I, you can see why people are really intrigued by him athletically when he's healthy, because he has the ability to be the guy who can stretch and also win inside and underneath like that. 
But more importantly, you know, I think both the Williamses, Jamal and Tyrell, in kind of concert with the offensive line improvements that they've made with Sewell and then, you know, keeping Fraley here and everything else, like all of this makes sense to build around, you know, to build a team around a quarterback like Goff. And I guess the thing to that I always go back to is like if Goff's the guy going forward long term, that would make sense. But we still don't know <laughs> what's going to happen at quarterback. But I, right. I just yeah. I do think that they have set themselves up to give Goff a chance. Like that's if you brought him in here and didn't address, or you know, you know, if you brought him into a situation where the offensive line wasn't in a good place or wasn't headed to the direction that this one is, you'd really be scratching your head because a quarterback like Goff has no chance if you can't protect him. But this, they're putting, you know. They're putting investments up front. You know, they're making sure that he's got, you know, a dynamic situation in the backfield. You've got guys that can run by people on the outside. Okay, like I can see some of it now. You can sort of see some of it kind of come together to where you don't have to talk yourself in circles so much about, well, maybe the offense, maybe it won't be terrible. Maybe it'll be better than you think it is. Maybe it'll be okay even. I don't know. I mean, by the end, it's not out of the question that it's solid even by the end of the year. I mean, they don't have a lot in terms of big play capability and all these things. But you look at all these things individually and you say, well, it's not out of the realm of possibility. This could form some sort of identity and we could really kind of see where this is going. Maybe by November or December, it's not going to be great. But I can sort of see maybe where they're headed with it, I think, a, a little bit now. And that's that's been easier, I guess, for me anyway to look. Are you any different? I mean, what's your thought on as we've gone through all this here? Are you, are you still sort of not real sure how this is going to go offensively? Yeah, I mean, what <laughs> it, it is weird because you're you look at quarterback and wide receiver, those are two big, pretty big yeah, pieces spots. to be unsure of moving right. forward. But I do think that the, I don't even want to say the foundation is in place because uh, you, you're missing some huge pieces, but I think sort of the framework, I guess I'll say yeah, is framework. in place for it because like, you, like Jamal Williams and Deandre Swift. I think that's probably how you want your backfield to look. And mm-hmm. Hawkinson is what you want from your normal one tight end. The offensive line looks like it's, falling into place now and then you we'll see how you know kind of Anthony Lynn calls it but I think that um you at least have some idea of how they'd like this to operate moving forward and even with those receivers like I think it's that's maybe not you're not exactly looking for long-term guys who are identical to Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman but I don't think they signed those guys just on a whim like there was thinking behind it that they wanted Mm-hmm. As Lynn told us, they wanted, you know, big guys with speed on the outside. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, it's a lot of it obviously comes back to golf uh, for the planning purposes, for how this is going to be, ex- how this is going to be executed. Uh, I think it all comes back to what golf is going to look like in this offense and how well he plays. But I would be curious to hear sort of how they are approaching that situation now and how they'd approach it if eight weeks into this year I know this offense looks pretty good. Yeah, like is right. that does that change your thinking at all about what you're doing with Jared Goff? I, I think that all things have to be on the table when the season starts. I, I think that we've talked about this so many times. He's young enough to where, you know, all things have to be on the table. So like you have to be open minded about the possibility that maybe accidentally or on purpose, the Lions build an offense that fits what Jared Goff can do, and maybe it works. Like it's not, imp- it's not impossible. <laughs> but at the same time, you can't be tethered to it, right? So, like that's right. the thing to remember here is like because 
you also have to have the option on the table that maybe we get eight weeks into the season and be like, this is never going to work. He, <laughs> he is broken. Like maybe yeah. we get 12 weeks into the season or something and say like, here you've got, Mark, starting. you've got Mark Brunel, you've got Anthony Lynn, two guys, you know, Brunel's been there. He can help him from all those types of things, stuff that he didn't get from McVeigh, right? All the, you know, the personal touches and things of that nature. you got a guy like Anthony Lynn who is like noted for his ability to work with fragile confidence and young players and everything else. Like if these guys, if Lynn and Mark Brunel can't get Goff's confidence in a better situation and we're still sitting here talking about the same stuff at the end of the year and you're like, it's not confidence, he's just broken, then it is what it is. And, and then they have to make a decision. So those are the things. I think that everything still has to be on the table when the year kicks off. And I think that'll be probably the case all the way through but i am fascinated because yeah you said it i mean what if we get eight weeks in and he's lighting it up i mean maybe that does change uh, a few people's uh tunes but i guess that remains to be seen we'll have to kind of see it to believe it so what else are you looking for i mean i i know we'll be back here before we get to training camp but yeah. like what else, what sort of things are you looking for now for the next few weeks here is there obviously getting sewell in, getting golf in the building uh, i mean i think it's possible that there's still more to come in free agency or via trade. Like they've got some openings here. Right. Like Safety is still a problem. I think yeah, that uh, was they the, haven't settled the number three tight end. Right. Like a lot of stuff needs to get filled it, out here. Still, It would be the, yeah, the, the further additions and then sort of where, where guys kind of fall. Like, I think we have, like if we had to put together a basic, you know, who's going to be the 22 starters, I think we'd probably have a pretty good idea right off the shoot of, of who that would be. And we'd probably be, and we would probably be pretty close if we went back and looked, it'd probably be within a handful, but the, the depth stuff, like where, you know, where a certain guy will fall in here, like, you know, certain linemen, maybe if you like one lineman here, you want to move guys around a little bit. I don't know if there's, you know, Mel Fonwu would be another one where it's like, where's he going to land? You know, where do you want him to be at? And I think those are questions that we won't really get answered until, you know, camp gets moving along. But like between now and then it would be, yeah, yeah. Are there any other additions that they make? And then are there any other like moves that they make in terms of purging? Are there... Are there any other guys here that they're getting rid of? I guess would be the other other thing that I'm still sort of looking around wondering, like, are we still going to, are we going to get into July and see them, you know, make other, yeah, I don't know. So like, that's the thing that I'm, are they still done paring down? Or are they still going to add more to it? I would imagine they still add more to it, but I would also think that we could still see guys on the way out of here. Do you have any, uh, anything jumping out at you in that? No, interim? I mean, I think, uh, you know, the Tyrell Crosby rumors are yeah. kind of circulating. We'll see what happens. Like, I don't know if they can get out of But what do you get out of him? What do you get out of it? Right. What do you get out of Crosby? And is it worth it, I guess, right? And right. that's the question where it's like, and Vita is an interesting one, too. We uh, fairly talked yesterday about, about that, and those are things we'll watch in camp. But, like, if you trade somebody like Crosby, I mean, that's that could be a pretty valuable guy for you in October. And I don't know what you're getting on the other side of it. Is it worth it? You know what I mean? So those are the questions that I guess we'll have to see how they answer them. Yeah, and that that's sort of the same for me. I just I, I think that there do need to be a couple more additions here just to make sure that you're set for the season and competitive mm-hmm. and have things in place the way you want. But uh yeah, I mean I, I do think they're <laughs> like you're in this weird spot where you have a feeling that they're probably not going to be a very good team, but it, right. there's there's the excitement for me of watching the next few months develop is like you said, just sort of seeing like training camp should be extremely competitive because there's I would think 40 roster spots yeah, available everything is you know? open. Everything. like it's why and they've said that like they're not even like we 
Decker's going to start at left tackle, and Sewell's probably going to start at right tackle, and like like that's you it. No, Quora yeah. and Flowers are going to start. Like you have right, guys yeah. that you know are going to start, but I think most, even some of the, even some of the players that we're kind of penciling in and saying, well, he's he's mm-hmm. going to be a starter. I don't know. Like if Jamie Collins is garbage in August, yeah, maybe it's Derek Barnes. Yeah, right. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know. Like I think that that's going to be the interesting thing for these next few months here is just that competition level, as they've said, they want to drive it up as much as possible without killing guys. They want to have some fun with it. But they, there is going to be not just to get on the 53-man roster, but to get onto that too deep, mm-hmm. Like there's going to be some legitimate competition for the next three, four months. And so that... I you know maybe September through December isn't great, but May through August should be yeah should be pretty entertaining to watch. And I would guess the message to the younger players this past weekend and anybody else who wasn't at rookie camp would be that when you come back here in July or August or whatever it is, like, and you're a second or first, second or third year player, you need to be ready to go. Like it needs to be like you said, the competitive. Like they need to do some stretching this year because they're not going to win a lot of games. They're not going to be competitive, super competitive in terms of playoffs, but they have got to develop. Like there are, like Jeff Okuda has to get better in training camp, a lot better. You know what I mean? Like those are conversations that I'm sure have, I know have had, have been had already. But like this next May, June, July, and then coming back. I mean, it's a little different this year, obviously, than it was a year ago with COVID and everything else. But like I just think back to the weird training camp last year and all the stuff. Where it's like, my God, they're never, they lost so much time. They're never going to be able to make up for it. And there's just so much development that's just going to be just lost. You're not replacing it this year. And a lot of it now, I, I almost feel like you're not going to make up for lost time, but like you, you got to do the best you can to try to do that. I think in this training camp, if you're a younger player who missed some of that developmental stage, because this is going to have to be a huge, huge, huge offseason for all those guys. And I would think that that's probably at top of mind the rest of the way. Yep, for sure. Definitely agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it will be, uh, I want to see what the atmosphere is like too when everyone gets in the building and just like, if we're still talking about how much fun everyone's having. (laughs) Right. Remember when when Patricia was such a jerk? Yeah, right. Three weeks into training camp and all that. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, I I think right now there's a good vibe. There's some reasons for optimism and we'll kind of see what it looks like. Sounds good. Well, I think that's it for this week. You got anything else here uh, before we? I don't know what our schedule will be going forward, but we have a few yeah, guys, I, no, uh, we'll try to uh, keep people apprised of when we're doing. Um, I, I mean, I, I think we'll try and get back onto a semi-regular schedule as we get into training yeah. camp and stuff. But, Do we know um, when camp is starting? Do we have a? I don't think we know when camp is starting. I think we have the uh, mini camps and the mini camps. Every, I mean, I assume it's late July, right? I would <laughs> I think hope it'll yeah. be in the same part as somewhere in there. As always, but yeah. they did say that they're not going anywhere, mm-hmm. not doing any joint practices this year. So it'll be uh, three weeks at Allen Park and possibly with. I, I mean, maybe with the fans there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so yeah, we'll see. It, it, we'll try and uh, we'll, we'll stay on top of everything as much as we can here. Yep. We will do that, but in the meantime, if anything else happens, of course, we will come back and get to you. But in the meantime, uh, for Chris, I'm Nick. Be be careful out there with this uh, heat wave we're having, and uh, take care of each other, and we will talk to you later.